What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I'm Justin Michael, and I could not be more stoked than to announce today's guest, Drew Goodman, the voice of the Colorado Rockies, longtime legendary local sports broadcaster, has called CSU games since the late 80s. Just a total legend, one of my idols, and I, it was just so great to chop it up with him. We talked about the, the Jay Norvell hire, uh, broadcasting, all kinds of stuff. It, it was really great to, to just get to pick his brain. I mean, I had so many things. I could have chatted with him for three hours if, if I had the opportunity. I know you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Before we get into that interview, something to keep in mind for our homeowners. With prices going up, it's creating natural equity in your home. If you have mortgage insurance, chances are you can refinance out of that and make the bubble work for you. If you're in the buyer's market, you know how stressful trying to buy a house is right now. I mean, if you've attempted this process in Colorado, it's it's crazy. Let Mike and Virginia Chevalier take the burden off this extremely difficult process. They're going to alleviate so much stress. Just take some worry off your plate. What's really cool is they have a fun perk for DNVR listeners. If you go to dnvrmortgage.com, you can enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. As mortgage brokers, they're able to shop over a dozen lenders with many products to find the right fit for you. They want their borrowers to know who they're working with and not feel bounced around. They take the time to help their borrowers be as informed as they want every step of the way. And Mike in Virginia will take the burden off folks so they can focus on their home being a home, not just a house. Go to dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat. Most importantly, get set up with that free consultation. You can also call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Or one last time, just go to dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage, we have a special guest today, the voice of the Colorado Rockies, Drew Goodman, who's also been in the Denver metro area for three plus decades, has covered everything from college sports to pro sports, everything in between. Drew, thank you so much for doing this. Are, 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 you, are you bored? I mean, with, with no baseball at the moment, it's, it's kind of a weird deal. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm bored, but uh, it is the time of year where you're getting fired up and getting ready to go to spring training and that sort of thing. So uh, hopefully we get some uh, significant movement and hear of some uh, significant movement uh, in the coming days. But, uh, you know, it's frustrating, I think, for all baseball fans as you get close to March and uh, the impasse continues. Yeah, it's definitely been an odd situation. I know you and Patrick have have covered it at length on the on the Rockies pod. And so I, I recommend everybody listening to go check that out. Uh, just briefly, before we kind of talk about some CSU stuff and, and some of the great games you've called over the years, uh, you know, you're, you're a New Yorker. How did you end up in Colorado originally? You've been here, you know, for, I believe you said 35 years on your podcast. Do you consider yourself a, a Coloradan at this point? Uh, absolutely. I mean, my, my roots are in New York and, and New York will always hold a special place uh, for me. It was where I was born and raised and, and I'm, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm a Coloradan also. I mean, I've spent more than I spent my entire adult life out here. I've spent uh, what is it? Uh, you have to do the math, but, uh, you know, 60 percent of my life, uh, a little more than that, almost two thirds of my life in Colorado. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think you could be both, but I'm, I'm definitely a Coloradan and my family you know, has all been raised out here as well. So, Is there an aspect of your personality that you would say, like, that's the most New York part of me that has stuck with me all these years? I've never had that question. That's an interesting one. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I would say not, not that people from other parts of the country aren't fiercely competitive, um, but, you know, in the Northeast, there, there's a, I, I think you grow up because of the proximity to people and whatever. It, it's a, it can be a, a very, very competitive environment and everything, not only athletically, but scholastically and from a business standpoint. So I, I probably have, uh, you know, I've taken some of that and that stayed with me, uh, you know, through the years uh, without question. 
Could you ever see yourself moving back there, maybe in, in retirement or anything like that? Or are you a not Denver's not a small city, but it's not New York. No, I need my New York fix once in a while. I mean, I was back a few months ago uh, for about, uh, you know, 10 days and uh, I, I need my, uh, my time in the city and, and that sort of thing, seeing, seeing some family, but I uh, no, I'm a Colorado and I, and I love our way of life out here. Uh, I love our weather. I love everything about Colorado. So uh, no, I, I don't, uh, I don't aspire. I think when I first got out of college, uh, and I embarked on on this career. Everything was kind of buying time at that stage of the game to moving back to New York because that was you know that that was that was the mecca, right? With yeah, you know, me, I was a Giant fan and Mets fan. But regardless of that, I mean, uh, it's the media capital of the world and, and remains so. Uh, but those you know, as as you move on in life, you know, things change and and. Um, you know, I, I'm dug in here and, and I, I absolutely couldn't think of a better place to live than Colorado, um, you know, with the change of seasons, with the weather, with, you know, the people. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm a Coloradan, but, you know, I'll never let go of my New York roots. One of the things that, I, that I've always appreciated about you as a broadcaster, and I think this is something that Rockies fans and CSU fans can kind of understand is that Anyone that's followed the franchise understands that, you know, there've been some low moments. There've been great moments. It's a lot of fun to be a Rockies fan, but they don't have a ton of success. And I think it's easy to become bitter in those scenarios. As a guy, I feel like even in the roughest stretches, you've always been able to take the audience and like it really bring the joy out in those good moments, which I think is important in sports fandom because it's good to have expectations, but the whole, you know, championship or bust mentality can really limit the joy you get to experience in a lot of the day-to-day, you know, stuff of a season. And obviously you're around the Rockies, you know, these guys, well, you're, you know, rooting for them to do well. I don't know. I, I've just always appreciated that. And I, I wonder, is that a conscious decision that you make that, Hey, you know, when things are going bad, I, I'm not just going to rail on it over and over again. Obviously you have to be critical. You have to be honest when, when it's not good, but it really does seem like you make an make an effort to, to bring the, the fun out and, and not always just fixate on the, on what's going wrong. Well, I, I think first and foremost, um, I, I think you need to enjoy the process in anything you do. And I, I have often said that if you aspire to be in the, uh, you know, the, the corner office at the top of the building, uh, in a company, chances are if you're fortunate enough to reach that level, you better enjoy the road too, because that, that road too is, is part of your journey and it may be, you know, a long part of your journey. So enjoy everything in the course of a regular season in, in any sport, just look at the avalanche. I mean, they're unbelievably good. They're unbelievably entertaining in the process of, of being good. And it is uh, for them in that locker room, it's win the Stanley Cup or bust. But if, as a fan, and I'm a huge fan of the Avalanche, I enjoy every night when when they play, especially lately because they never lose. And and as I said, they're entertaining uh, as the as they go along. So you have to you have to enjoy that. Um, going back more specifically to your question about the Rockies, the Rockies have had moments, as we know in their history, where seasons have come together and 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 been good. You know, the pinnacle obviously being 07. But you know, even a few years ago, 17 and 18, they were a postseason team. 18, they play a one game. You know. Uh, against the Cubs, it was a thriller. Yeah. Well, well, the 163 to win the division when they had never won the division. Unfortunately, they lose at Dodger Stadium. So I try, I try to bring it. I try to be honest to a point. I mean, listen, I work very closely with franchise. I can't pile on left and right and, and make the broadcast a a referendum on various moves, etc. You can read about that and uh, you know, or, or talk about it on talk shows. But when people tune in at 6.40 at night to watch the Rockies play the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Pirates, whomever it is, you're, you're there to hopefully enjoy the ball game and, and the Rockies come out on top. And if they come out on top, even at the end of the year in a season where they only win 70 games or 75 games, that sort of thing, there's going to be bright spots along the way. There's going to be individual bright spots. And, you know, I try to portray those and, and get excited for those while keeping, 
you know, being mindful of the big picture because it is it's professional sports. And at the end of the day, it's about winning more than you lose. No, I mean, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. I, I was just kind of curious about, you know, what goes through your mind throughout that process and baseball is such a grind. I mean, when it's tough, it can, it can go on for, you know, weeks at a time, but I, I think it's really impressive the way you guys are able to do it. One more just random Rockies question then I promise sure. we'll get sure. into CSU. I, I grew up following CSU. I also grew up a Rockies fan. One of the players I, I really had a soft spot for was Yorvit Torrealba. And I just, I thought he was a fun player. I don't, I don't really know what it was about him. It wasn't like he was an all-star or anything like that. Never met the guy, but he seemed like he was a, a cool personality. I, I saw randomly way back in the day, I, I think it was like 2009 maybe, he had a CSU football jersey on. And I'd heard a couple of times about Yorvi Torrealba randomly kind of like having this affinity for CSU. And I was wondering if you could explain why that is, like if maybe it's a Kelly McGregor thing or if it's a, a Dallas Davis connection. I, I don't know. Maybe you don't even know, but I, I've always wanted to know what that, where that came from. No, it, 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 it the assistant trainer, a longtime trainer for the Rockies, uh, uh, Scott is a um, is a CSU alum, and he bought a CSU football shirt back in the day and said, you know, you're going to be a Rams fan. And, 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 you know, going back to the late Kelly McGregor, you know, there, there's a Rams influence. You mentioned Dallas Davis, who's worked for the organization for, for a long period of time. Um, but um, that, that is something that Scott started. And, and so your beat would wear that, especially on Saturdays when the Rams were playing football, he'd always wear his Rams uh, shirt and he'd got a hard time if they didn't win. And, and so your beat, who's a great personality. I mean, you're right. It came through the screen, wonderful guy, high energy and a big part of their success in those years, no seven and oh nine. And this is not a knock on Chris Ionetta, who I think the world of, but you know, down the stretch and in, in the in the postseason, it was more your beat behind the plate. Um, he just he brought some intangibles and he brought an energy uh similar more recently to what we've seen with you know Gerardo Parra and mm -hmm. certainly for a number of years with cargo. Uh, but that's that's what your beat brought, and the, that's you know long-winded part of the uh, you know the CSU connection. So uh, yeah, he always would have a CSU shirt on, or sometimes underneath his uniform. Well, Yorvi is in the in the club. He's okay with us. He can come up to to Fort Collins, and and we will welcome him with open arms. You you've been around CSU a long time. I mean. You, you called the 1994 upset of Arizona, which is probably the biggest upset in, in program history. What, is that the first time you called CSU? Do you remember when the first time you called CSU was? Yeah, absolutely. It was 1987. Um, I, I started my career in Aspen with a television station that's now defunct, uh, KSPN-TV. They also had a radio station up there, which I think still exists. Uh, and... Um, I moved down here and they started a regional network. Bill Daniels was involved and it initially was uh, in cahoots with United Cable. And the first property they got, they, they basically had two properties. They got Colorado State football and basketball and they got the Denver Nuggets. And I was doing pre and post game on the Nuggets starting in the late 80s. Al Albert was doing the play-by-play. -play. And I got the opportunity to kind of transition from being a host and a and an and a anchor on the news to doing play-by-play. Uh, -play. And it was with Colorado State football and basketball. And back then they played 11 games. We did five, I think, on television, five or six. And uh, basketball-wise, we did certainly more than that. I think um, if my recollection's right, we would do about 15 of their of their games. And so that's kind of where I cut my teeth on the play-by-play -play side, getting going. And from that point forward, I have always pulled hard for Colorado State. Even, you know, I, I, I won't do it outwardly when I have them in a game broadcast because I'm playing it down the middle if they're playing as they did yesterday, Boise State or whenever or whomever else, Colorado. I've done a lot of CU, CSU games through the years and I pull hard for, for CU as well. But I, I will always, always have a strong affinity for Colorado State because it's where I, I got my start. 
do you remember like how was that an awkward transition for you going from being a studio host to a play-by-play guy or was that kind of always the natural goal and then it was kind of a situation where you were like I, I got my I got my chance I'm gonna run with it well you have to remember back in the 80s may and actually you have to remember you may not be and I don't say this disrespectfully you may not just be old enough in to understand that in the 80s and the 70s when I grew up right you got your news, your sports news, and your sports highlights from the sports anchor on whatever affiliate you watch. So I watched in New York quite a bit Channel 4, and Channel 4 was NBC, and Marv Albert was there. Now, Marv Albert was unique in that Marv Albert would do the 6 o'clock news in New York at 6 and 11, right, instead of 5 and 10, and he would do the six o'clock news sports report, run down to the garden and do a Nick or Ranger game on television that night and then be back in the studio at 1125 to to say, yeah, the Knicks tonight over the Celtics, 108, 104. Let's check out the highlights. Boom. Willis Reed, a jumper. Da, 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 da. You know, the Rangers were in action. They were in uh, Montreal tonight. And he'd give you those highlights. You didn't you didn't have a phone like this to go and say, oh, Rangers just scored. What a beautiful goal. You didn't have that. You, you didn't know trade rumors. You didn't even know if a trade took place until you heard the local sports anchor give it. So growing up, Justin, that's what I wanted to do. I want to be a sports anchor. And initially, that's what I was. Um, I, I also was enamored with wide ABC Wide World of Sports and, you know, Bob Beatty, who lived in Aspen. I think Bob still does it forever was a. Uh, you know, uh, on the side of a mountain in Kitzbühel covering World Cup skiing. It's just, you know, the appeal of, of traveling and covering sports all over the globe, um, you know, held a lure for me as well. But, um, you know, making that transition, I, I'm proud of the fact that I'm comfortable behind a desk, though I'm not there that much anymore. And I'm comfortable calling games, which is primarily what I do. And, and I enjoy doing the long form interview as you're kind enough to listen to my podcast. Uh, so, you know, I enjoy many different aspects of the business, but I'm, I'm certainly glad that I was able to make that transition then because I find it far more rewarding to actually be at a game yeah. than being in a studio and saying, here's what happened. And you can show, you know, 20 seconds of highlights. Kind of off of that, just briefly, and this is a little tangent, how difficult is it to pull off the remote broadcast, especially, you know, in a sport like baseball, like there's so much filler time and you like you're providing so much of what's happening. I got to imagine and I know you guys got to be there for a lot of it, but that that had to be a really kind of unnerving situation, you know, it throws you guys off your loop and you worry that like the hopefully the company doesn't like this too much and starts doing it to, you know, cut costs. I thought that was my biggest concern, I guess, just as a sports consumer. I, I really just don't enjoy the remote broadcast. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you that in life, you do what you have to do. No, absolutely. And, right, yeah. right. No, yeah. but I, 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 and we've had, you know, hopefully a, a situation that we, we all, you know, can get through. We're hopefully on the other side of it now, but this pandemic has, has provided challenges for every person on earth. And, the remote broadcast is not ideal, uh, whether it, whatever the sport is, because you're limited as to what you can see, and you're also limited access-wise, especially in baseball. As, as you mentioned, it, it's a sport that, by its nature, has a lot of dead air. It lends itself to being anecdotal, and that's why I think it's a great platform to be a broadcaster and you can pass along stories and, and that sort of thing. But to have to have those stories and to continually uh, update your, um, you know, briefcase full of uh, anecdotes, et cetera, you got to be able to, to talk to players and talk to coaches and managers on your side, on the other side. And, you know, if you're not at the ballpark, you can't do that. Uh, but uh, I know we are moving on from that. That's the plan this year when they finally do settle this uh, this impasse and this work uh, this work stoppage that we're going to be back on the road. And believe me, I, I I welcome that. I can't wait. I'm I'm a big baseball fan. I'm I'm hoping they get some of this figured out so spring training doesn't get 
completely disrupted, but I guess we'll have to see. I know I've been kind of all over the place here, but no, you're fine. I, uh, I, I did listen to your interview with Jay Norvell. I'm looking forward to listening to part one of your interview with Tony Alford. What stood out the most to you about Jay Norvell? And I know he's a guy that you already had uh, some familiarity with, given that you covered him at Nevada. But I, I believe, you know, you mentioned on your podcast, he comes off very genuine, just kind of a likable personality. That's probably what stood out the most to me, at least in his press conferences. He's still saying some of the cliches that all football coaches are inherently going to say, but you just, you believe him. And I, I don't really know why it is. I, I think he's authentic. And you're right. It's impossible in this day and age because coaches, we we hear coaches all the time and and it's not, it's hard to be completely different and a hundred percent unique in how you present things to a, to a team and and goals and, and what you want to do season wise. I mean, there, there are going to be cliches in there, but he's very authentic. He's very genuine. Uh, you can tell he he truly does care for his players in a, in a very tough business. And I think the proof in the pudding was the number of, you know, you're all over it, Justin. I read your study. I think there was nine, correct me if I'm wrong, transfers from the University of Nevada to Colorado State. Uh, I, yeah, nine initially. And then I think it's up to 11 now because they added a punter and like a walk-on type guy. But just, okay. I mean, substantial portion of the roster. A substantial portion. And you're not talking about afterthoughts. You're talking about prominent members who are like, I want to follow that guy. That, I don't, when you're in this business, when I say this business, when you're in the business of coaching, I don't care who you are. You're not going to please everybody. You're not going to please everybody. There's going to be a guy that's not playing that thinks he should be playing. There's there's going to be guys that that don't like your style. Uh, so to be liked and to have success, pretty unique. And I think he's he's been able to achieve both. Talking about Coach Norvell, I'm glad you brought that up because there have he's faced some criticism, especially from some Colorado high school coaches. He didn't end up signing, you know, some of the guys that were verbally committed under Steve Adazio that were local guys. Only signed one Adazio commit out of all of it. But, you know, a lot of that makes sense. It's a completely different scheme. It's a different style. Like, it just, it makes sense. I understand it. And I feel for those kids. And and this is something that I've talked about on the podcast. It's unfortunate that those kids, you know, lose their scholarship offers. They ended up getting to go somewhere else. But I like that he's been honest about that process. You know, he's like, look, I'm, I'm tasked to manage this roster and find the talent that's going to make us competitive. And, you know, he's making a lot of money to do it. So like, sometimes you do just have to be willing to make those decisions and, and kind of off of that, I'm curious, do you think that the whole recruiting Colorado element kind of gets focused on a little too heavily? Obviously, if there is elite talent in the state, you want to be able to land it, but ultimately like, the best that CSU and CU have been, you know, you got to be able to go out to California and then Los Angeles and land elite talent. It can't all just be, you know, homegrown guys that you're developing. This is not Texas. And this is not the aforementioned state, California, where you don't have to leave the confines of your border to fill up your roster. Um, now, having said that, even UCLA and USC and, and, you know, certainly Stanford, they, they're, they're going to recruit nationally as well. But there's going to be a lot of people in their background just by the sheer number of people in their state, right? And Texas, sheer number of people in their state and high school football is a different animal down there. Um, there there's a lot in your, in your question. And going back to your original thought, you know, I, I coach uh, baseball at Arapaho High School. And we had a young man who's a terrific player who uh, was offered by the Adazio staff. And then he was offered instead of a scholarship, a preferred walk-on spot at Colorado State under Jay Norvell. And he has instead decided to, uh, to play college football elsewhere. They have a right, talking about Jay Norvell, to assess you know, the talent that was signed or offered verbally and say, hey, is this a fit? It may not be a schematic fit. It may be after the number of transfers that they don't need as many bodies at that position. 
you know, you covered this very well. I mean, Jay Norvell was outspoken saying, we are really short in the wide receiver room because we are not, it's not going to be three yards in a cloud of dust anymore. We're, we're going to throw the ball, you know, all over the lot. So they did, they needed an upgrade in the, in the wide receiver room. You're always trying to upgrade talent wise, right. In every room, but they all, they just needed more. They needed a ton more bodies. And initially, he was addressing the offensive side. He waited. He had to wait until after the um, the FCS championship game to officially hire his defensive coordinator. And naturally, he wanted them to have a lot of say as to as to who they were going to recruit. Uh, I, from from all indications, and again, Justin, you you cover this every single day. They have really made it a priority to get to know all the coaches in the state at all different levels, not just the Centennial League coaches and the Continental League coaches, because they're the big 5A schools down where I live in the southern central part of, uh, you know, the metro area, that corridor. Uh, From all indications, they're really doing a good job of, of developing relationships. But now to the second part of what we were discussing, you can't, even if you signed every great kid in the state of Colorado, you're not going to completely populate your roster to the point where you can compete for a championship in the Mountain West. And kids have different agendas. Some will stay, you know, CU's going to naturally get some. They're they're in a Power Five conference, uh, but some kids want an experience outside of town. You know, George Fitzpatrick went to Ohio State. We talk you know, my podcast with Tony Alford about George, he recruited him. So, so kids are going to leave, but you want to, you want to try to, you know, get some kids to stay naturally. And, and you'd like to be competitive with CU in, in that regard with the top kids. And you also want to find some hidden gems. University of Wyoming's done a great job under Craig Bowl of finding hidden gems in the state of Colorado that went to Wyoming and performed well enough that they're, you know, now in the NFL in a couple of cases. No, I mean, it's a great point. Andrew Wingard, you know, a guy that just completely flies under the radar. And Wyoming's been doing that to CSU for really, I mean, decades. Craig well, Bowl, especially. But yeah, well, in the case of Andrew Wingard, not only CSU didn't offer CU didn't offer him. Uh, you know, I you go to basketball, uh, Boise State, uh, who's the, uh, what am I doing, the 6'6 kid out of. Oh, uh, Justinian Jessup. Yeah, Justinian Jessup, exactly. Yeah. Justinian Jessup's a professional. Right. And he had a not a good career. He had a great career at Boise State. He wasn't offered in state. So recruiting's an inexact science. And you'd like to be able to, you know, keep as many of those good kids in state that want to stay in state. Yeah, I mean, and especially for for CSU, I'm I'm not trying to be dismissive of the in-state process because I think you're probably even more reliant on in-state talent at CSU than you are at CU just because. You know, you mentioned their Power Five conference that's going to open up some recruiting avenues that you don't always have in the Mountain West. You can pull some guys. You can, you know, Jay Norville flipped Mackay Fox from UCLA. He flipped Clay Millen from Arizona before he came to Nevada, and now he's at CSU. But I don't know. I, I just think we get a little too caught up in it at times, and I think people saw all these players that were committed under Adazio that didn't end up signing, and, you know, they're panicking, thinking he's not going to recruit Colorado. But as you laid out, you know, they really are trying to build that foundation. I just think this time, unfortunately, it was a, it was a matter of where these players just didn't really fit into the, into the scheme of what was going to happen. And even if they did come and those scholarships were honored, you know, they probably end up transferring out anyways because they're not going to get playing time because they don't factor into what this new staff's trying to do. Here's something to remember. I think you're aware of this. So I say that euphemistically, not you know, pointedly toward you is that, you know, we, with rivals and, and two, four, seven, we're putting two stars, you know, three stars on different kids. And you get excited when, you know, like the Fox kid who was a UCLA commit and, and had, a, you know, a number of, of uh, power five offers and he goes to Colorado state. And that's, that's awesome right now. Now you got to go practice and lift and play football and we'll find out as, you know, what kind of impact he has. And the reason I point that out is in the NFL, you look at a lot of Cooper Cup, right? Had the, one of the greatest seasons for wide receiver ever yesterday. He's named MVP of the Super Bowl. And Cooper Cup was a no-star guy who had no offers. And he ends up famously at, at Eastern Washington. He's great. Not good. He's great. Aaron Donald, who's as good an interior defensive lineman as, as we've seen in in a, a generation, 
Aaron Donald went to Pitt and Pitt's a, don't get me wrong. Pitt, obviously good school. You look back, I think he was a two star. He may have been a three, low three star, not a lot of big time offers. It wasn't like he, he came down to Pitt, Ohio State, Penn State, and, you know, in Alabama. It wasn't anything like that. And, and this guy's phenomenal. So a lot of times they're, they're want to guys, you know, try hard guys who've worked their tail off, whose talent slowly, you know, emerges. And sometimes the other guys don't pan out. Two of the most famous five-star running backs at the University of Colorado, and they haven't had, they've only had, a, I think, a couple of five-star even in their history, uh, was, um, you know, Houston out of, uh, out of Thomas Jefferson High School, who went to Colorado for two years and then famously transferred to Colorado State. He had a solid, decent, uh, you know, college career, uh, underwhelming by – by five stars standards for sure. Yeah. yeah, coming out, didn't play in the NFL, and there was another running back uh, out of the West Coast. It was the top running back in the country that signed with Colorado. I'm doing a blank on him right now. Fans I know who you're talking about. about. It was like 2008, but I'm drawing a blank on his name. A while yeah. ago, and he ended up transferring, and you know, never, you know, his career never, never blossomed. So I, I know fans who follow recruiting closely get really excited oh they got this kid they got justin michael from longmont man it's he's a four star and he turned down yada 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 well they gotta go play they gotta go play no that's a great point and i I try and talk about that on my podcast too it's just look guys there have been four star guys that have come and and not seen the light of day and shaquille barrett was a zero star recruit richard higgins was a one-star recruit like you know barrett was was transferred when you well, as you know, in Nebraska, Omaha, mm-hmm. not a Division One school, turned you know closed down their shut their doors on their program. Yeah, talk about a journey. Had, He's an incredible yeah. story. Yeah, I, so you know a lot of a lot of guys were somewhat unheralded and become impactful. You know, Joey Porter going back. You know, picking on you know Colorado State guys. You know, Joey Porter wasn't this, this big time recruit. And, you know, he became a hell of a player. Sean Moran, Brady Smith, those bookend defensive ends who both had nice NFL careers after, you know, great careers at Colorado State. You know, they weren't, they weren't four-star guys coming out of high school. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet $1 on any team, get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with the same game parlay. This is where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR. Bet $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Football season may be over, but pizza eating season is year round. And if you're going to get pizza in the Denver metro area, you should do it at Sexy Pizza. With 13 years in the Denver community, they are as local as it gets. A hand-tossed deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. Choose your own adventure with their wide range of toppings or try one of their signature philanthropies. A portion of every sale from one of these five specialty pies is donated to a range of different nonprofits right here in Colorado. If you're looking to have Sexy Pizza support your organization or event, go to www.sexy.pizza. Check out their About page for donation links to see how Sexy Pizza can support your cause. As far as the pizza goes, with a 12-inch, 16-inch, or an 18-inch crust, they're sure to have the right fit. You can get all the fix-ins, whether it's wings, salad, pasta, knots, dessert options. They have it all. Vegan options, a delicious 12-inch gluten-free crust. You've got yourself a can't-miss hit. Stop by any of their four Denver locations in Cap Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park, and Park Hill, and they just opened up a fifth location in Trinidad. Hit up Sexy Pizza. You will not regret it. Kind of off of that, as somebody that's seen some of the all-time great CSU players and, and how they've translated and 
this is a totally, you know, it's an inexact process, I guess, with predicting NFL talent. But Trey McBride is about as highly touted as any guy that's ever come out of CSU in terms of where they are in the, in the national spotlight. Where, where, what do you see his ceiling being? I mean, do you see him being a guy that can be as impactful at the, at the next level as he has been at the college game? I think he can have a hell of a, a, an NFL future. One of the first things that you look at, that I look at, is desire. And there's varying levels of desire and competitiveness. I say this all the time, even with guys at the highest level, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, hockey, they're different competitive levels, even though those guys are all among the best in the world, right? Because they wouldn't be playing. Yeah, you can't make it level. to that point. You can't make it there unless you're not really gifted and you've worked hard and, and, and you're competitive. But even within that realm, that, that small brotherhood, there are, you know, Michael Jordan competitiveness, uh, you know, Aaron Donald competitiveness, right? And I think Trey McBride, from what we've witnessed from his time at Colorado State, has elite competitiveness along with a very intriguing skill set that plays, not just plays, you know, in, in shorts and, and a it's a good point because there's a lot of those guys that look good right. in a t-shirt yeah. and underwear. Well, I say it all the time. You know, there's a lot of guys in baseball. You know, they look great at five o'clock when they take BP or, or on the on the showcase circuit. Man, they have great exit velocity. They have a big time arm. Uh, they look great in a uniform. Well, how, can they play? How do they do when when they're you know they're actually playing the game? Trey McBride excels when the game is being played. I think he has a chance to be a really good NFL tight end. And, and some of that will have to do with where he goes and how totally, he's utilized, yeah. right? But he has the skill set uh, to be, you know, to be a guy that, that defenses have to game plan for leading into each week, wherever the heck he ends up. He's that good. I sure, I just hope he ends up somewhere that's, you know, not to take a shot at Detroit, you know, but just a place where it feels hopeless. You know, I hope he gets to play relevant games, play in a system that best utilizes his skill set. Um, I hope he ends just up been with such the New York a, Giants. Hey, I'd be okay with me. Because, well, and they haven't been any good, but they need they need a tight end, and, and I'm, you know, I pull for the Giants, so I'd like to see him uh, see him in a Giant uniform. Are you in or out on, on Danny Jones? This year, this year will be a... We'll find out, and I'll answer that. We'll do this again a year from now, and I'll tell you whether I'm in or out on Daniel Jones. He, he's That's intriguing because he's athletic guy, uh, you know, and and uh, has a lot of the modern quarterback traits. He has to be more accurate, but he's been in. He's been behind a, an awful offensive line, mm -hmm. and their wide receiver room is is probably below average. So. You know how good it is I don't know. He can run. He we know he's athletic enough to run. I'd like to see him utilize, you know, him in the same way that you know they utilize, you know, the kid from Wyoming, Allen, up in, in Buffalo. And of course, now half the Buffalo staff's coaching the Giants. So we'll see. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say they very well might after yeah. seeing what it worked. And Josh Allen, you know, another example of a guy who Wyoming was his only offer coming out of junior college, and he he was able to make it work. Um, just with Trey McBride, obviously he's really talented, was just kind of like a, a beacon of hope in what had been just a really tough couple of years for CSU fans. In your opinion, and I know you didn't get to, to work as close with Adazio as you did with some of the other coaches after the broadcast agreement changed and, and you guys weren't doing quite as many games. Where did it go wrong for Steve Adazio? Yeah, you know, I want to be fair. I don't know Steve Adazio personally. Um, I, I will. I'll start out with a positive. I, I thought that Colorado State had a had a had a good roster talent wise, even when they weren't winning. This is under Mike Bobo, and I thought they kind of got soft. I, I thought they were too pretty. They weren't tough. That's why they couldn't beat Wyoming's. Where they couldn't beat Air Force. 
football at the end of the day is about toughness and about, you know, winning, you know, again, a cliche in the trenches. And Colorado State had gotten completely away from that. And I thought he brought a toughness back. Now, they didn't win many games, but I thought he brought a toughness back um, in that locker room. So I think there, there was a, a, a move in the right direction from that standpoint. I would but, agree. Overall, but overall, I don't think it was a good fit. I don't like the hiring process. I think Joe Parker's, a, you know, from all indications, I don't know him well, is a, you know, is a good guy. But uh, to allow somebody to come in and basically one person run your coaching search, in this case, as we all know, famously Urban Meyer, and every candidate was an Urban Meyer or finalist was an Urban Meyer disciple. And then you hire Steve Adazio, who was just let go by Boston College and has had, you know, two stops, Temple and Boston College. And they were okay. Nothing spectacular. 500 coach uh, at BC. It it just, you want to win, when you hire a new coach, for what it's worth, you want to win the press conference, man. You want your fan base to be excited. The fan base was decidedly ambivalent at best and I mean, they had one and a half feet out the door like it was one of those things yeah. i actually think his press conference went okay but i i agree with you you know that he never even had that moment where the fans were like oh we've got this new guy let's see what Ever. he can do they were just like adazio are you serious which, which justin which is interesting because i've the negativity around that program you cover it on a day-to-day basis so you know better than i do but the negativity around that program prior to the hiring of Jay Norvell was as, uh, you know, toxic as I've seen, you know, and I don't know how long, maybe going back to the Leon Fuller years in the, in the eighties. And it, it was like a 180 with Jay Norvell being hired. And, and so now he hadn't coached a football game yet, but we, <laughs> we know his body of work at Nevada and so they they on paper have gotten this thing right after what I thought was a poor hire. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a you know historical, you know, you know, one of those guys who's Monday morning quarterbacking. At the time I didn't think it was a good hire. No, I mean I I I do think there were a lot of fans that were rooting for Adazio to fail. And the minute that that happened, they it affirmed their opinion of him. And so that really fed into that, you know, toxicity that was pretty synonymous with CSU over the last couple of years. That's unfortunate. I do think that he had a tough, you know, coming in and taking over a new program and then having to do all this in a pandemic and trying to recruit and, you know, you can't have kids on campus. Like it, it was a really difficult spot to be in, but I, I agree with you. It just, it didn't feel like a natural fit. He didn't excite people. And you need that as a school like CSU, which isn't just going to get, you know, it's not Alabama. People aren't just going to come out because it's, it's the only thing they would do on a Saturday. You can go hiking, you can go biking, you can go to New Belgium. Like there's so many things in Fort Collins. You need a coach that gets people excited and him and Nico Medved, especially on the basketball side, both do that. They, they hit a home run with Nico Medved and I think they've hit a home run with Jay Norvell. I mean, Jay Norvell was winning eight games a year at at Nevada and I've done a number of games at Nevada. And with all due respect to my friends over at the University of Nevada, their facilities are subpar, um, really subpar by major college standards. Um, and and he's winning games and he's recruiting really well. I mean, he had three guys in the senior bowl, as you know. So now you go up to Fort Collins. And and the thing, the thing that angers me as somebody that supports CSU and roots for them, they went and built a beautiful stadium with beautiful football facilities, the coaches' offices, the weight room, uh, the meeting rooms, you know, the practice fields, they, they don't need to take a backseat to anyone. I'm not just talking about in the Mountain West. You really don't need to take a backseat to anyone. Then you couple that with not only is it on campus, but it's a it's a very good school. It's in a beautiful location. You should be at the top of the food chain, certainly in the group of five from a football standpoint. And it seems like they missed that window. They had all that momentum with the new stadium. 
And hopefully they can recapture that now with the hiring of Jay Norvell. And that's not going to happen overnight because he's got to, you know, get his guys in there, as they say. And, you know, schedule's not easy. And Colorado State has always played a formidable schedule in the non-conference. You know, they open at Michigan, but it, it was the right move. And, and as a, if you're not excited, if you're, if you're even a passing fan of Colorado State, and you're not excited about Jay Norvell being up there, then, uh, you know, you're mistaken because this, this was a good hire. I know you got to get going here, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but just kind of off of that, do you, has CSU missed the boat? Is there, a, is there a path forward at this point where you could see them catching fire, you know, building off of everything that they have to offer as a university and, you know, being the next Utah or TCU and, and you know, getting into the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or, or whatever it may be? Or is it just too late? No, I, I wouldn't say that too, because we know the, the things change rapidly in sports, right? And with some of these television contracts with the major conferences, you know, coming up in a few years, I don't have them all in front of me when, when each one of the uh, Power Five conferences comes up. They're always going to, in, in the world of, of life, right, they're, everyone's always going to try to maximize revenue. Sports certainly is no different. These college, these conferences are no different. So if they can find a way that if they expand, it becomes more lucrative from a television standpoint, they will do that. Now, will CSU be sexier than they you know, were a year or two ago because football does drive the bus? Potentially. I mean, it can change quickly. If, if Let's just Couple that with what's going on on the basketball side because they're getting a ton of and deservedly so national attention. They're twenty and three, great win yesterday in, in Boise uh, in overtime against uh, you know a really good another really good Leon Rice team. They're going to be in the tournament. Hopefully, they can make a little bit of noise. But the other sports have done well. We understand that at Colorado State, but it's all about the revenue sports, football and basketball. Basketball is in a great place. And all of a sudden, two years from now, you and I are, you know, I'm jumping on your show and we're talking about, yeah, you know, CSU had a 10-win season like they did a few years back over McIlwain, and they're looked upon as elite in the group of five. With the Denver market and everything that Colorado State brings, it could be a completely different view of the university from an expansion standpoint two or three years from now than it may, may have been last fall where, you know, they've fallen behind you know, the, the Cincinnati's and they've been behind the Boise's of the world. But, you know, from a geographic standpoint, from a major media market standpoint, um, there's going to be a lot to offer provided, you know, they get that football program back to where they think it can be. This is, this is a pretty layered question, but I, I just thought of it while you were talking here. As, as somebody that's been around college football basically at its peak in the state, which I would argue was, you know, kind of the, the mid to late nineties going into the early two thousands, obviously with CU and everything that they did win a national championship. And then the Sonny Lubick era, it all, it seemed to just kind of go away so quickly, like in terms of the success of both of these programs, the interest in college football altogether. You know, I remember even Oh three, Oh four, some of those CSU CU games, classic one and Oh four comes down to the goal line. Justin Houston gets tackled short. What happened? Like what, in your opinion, why has the interest not been there for college sports locally? Is it just because there's too much to do? Is it pro sports or is it just because they haven't won? I think the bottom line is you got to win. And in Colorado's, you know, university of Colorado's, you know, hit rough times for, for a number of years, uh, unfortunately, uh, Colorado State, you know, has had a moment here and there, the 10-win season we referenced under Jim McElwain. Uh, but in terms of sustained winning, we haven't seen it since the Sonny Lubick years. I think you're absolutely right. You know, that, you know, kind of 15-year period of time when, when Bill McCartney turned things around the late 80s, uh, culminating with the national championship in, in 1990, but they were top five for a number of years after that. And even under Rick Neuheisel, they were, they were elite. Uh, so you have to win. Everybody likes a winner. And I, I think we've seen periods where, you know, both schools have been really well supported and, and people, you say, Oh, why are they playing the, you know, the annual, it used to be the annual matchup 
you know, why are they always playing it, uh, you know, at Mile High Stadium or excuse me, down, you know, when it, when it became the new stadium also said, hey, it's important. It's important it's played there because 75,000 people in both of those schools were pretty good. 75,000 people were showing up. So don't tell me it didn't matter. It was a college. It was a great college environment at a neutral site. It was a big deal. And it just comes back to people do have, um, there's a lot of options for people's discretionary income. And you want to you want to back a winner. You want to go down somewhere and see a team do well. I never thought the Bron. This will always be a Broncos town, Justin. You know that. And I never thought I'd see a sunny autumn day, and the Broncos were still in it. Right? I think they were seven and six, and they were playing. Uh, I don't. I don't remember what team was in town, but it was a it was a really important game for the Broncos. They had very much. Uh, playoff, um, you know, aspirations that were legitimate, and there were there were close to ten thousand no shows, ten or eleven thousand no shows. You never would have seen that in the past. So that's indicative of people are spending their money elsewhere. And if you want, you know, if you want to see people in the stands in a competitive environment now for the entertainment dollar, you better win. We sure hope to get some winning up, you know, at CSU. I think it would just be so good. And honestly, even as a CSU grad, like I, I just want college sports in the state to be relevant. So I like what UNC basketball is doing. I would like to see CU and CSU be in a place where that Rocky Mountain showdown isn't deciding, you know, who goes one and three in non-conference play and the other team goes 0 and four. It's, you know, who's going four and oh and cracks the top 25. Like we, I want us back in that state. I don't know if we're going to get there. But I'm I'm very intrigued by Jay Norvell for the first time, and I'm, I'm completely in on Nico Medved. So I'm I'm really stoked to see how the season plays out. Drew, thank you so much for doing this. This is crazy for me. I already told you before. You know, you were literally the voice of my childhood. I don't know if you get told that very often, but I mean, I, I've watched a hundred plus Rocky games a year since I was in the first grade. So thank you. This is this is truly an honor. Well, you, you know, you make make me feel a little older when you say that, and I do. It, it is. Uh, I'll be serious though, and say that it is. Um, it, it's a very great compliment when I meet people like yourself. We're now involved in the business, and they say, "Hey, I watched you growing up, whether it was the Nuggets or the Rockies or both, or college athletics." Um, you know, I, I take that. Um, you know, seriously, I'm, I'm appreciative of your thoughts and um, continued success to you. And I, I come to you now for all the inside information I can get or additional information as well on, on Colorado State football and basketball. So keep doing your thing. And if I can ever be of any assistance along the way, let me know and we'll do this again. I appreciate you, Drew. Make sure you go check out Drew's podcast. You can find that on Spotify, Apple, Wherever you get your podcast, he shares it on social media. I will share it on my Twitter as well to make it easy for all of you guys. Drew, thanks again, buddy. You bet, man. Take care, Justin. Have a good day. I only seem to write when the words, they don't come to me. I'm staring at this page and I swear it stares back at me. Read between the lines, see the blank and all the happenings. It's been 35 and I ain't even wrote like half a thing. Rhymes that make sense, but more lines that didn't. I was walking with my headphones, heavy bumping pivots. Simplistic white pages, they dreaming we were famous. They say they like the cadence, mark the summers like cicadas. And features, those ain't favors. My mood rings an alligator. Spit like Vader with the saber, steady kicking it like Prater. Staring at white pages. It's habitual behavior, check the flavor, that's some sage advice But confidence a great disguise, and certain lines are idolized Like yeah, I'm fine and I don't mind, it's out of sight, it's out of mind And I've been dwelling on my past just to see what I can find Lost and found memories of places I designed And my imagination's different now, but I swear that I